Hello and welcome to a special episode of The Tigers Down Under. I'm your host, as always, Alex, and for the first time, we're on video. So despite the uh, disappointing end to the season, we thought we'd try something new and a bit exciting just to uh, rev spirits up heading into, hopefully, a positive season next year. Uh, And with me to discuss the disappointing game and season, but also to look ahead, I have Dan. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, good. And I've also got Logan. How are you, Logan? Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. Good. Yeah. Um, I'll start with you, Dan, just on uh, the Cardiff game itself. And I guess there was that sort of sense of inevitability about it that, um, you know, probably after that Luton defeat, there was that sense that it was going to be pretty tough to stay up. And, you know, sure enough, things didn't turn in our favour. Um, how, how did you feel kind of going into that game and sort of how it panned out? Did you sort of, it just went as expected? Uh, yeah, it was pretty much, I think, anytime you go into a game and you need three or four other results to go in your favour, um, you know, it's, it's never really a good position to be in. So, uh, yeah, I think it was, it sort of went as expected. I, I, apart from the, I was a bit disappointed. I thought we would have shown a little more, um, a little more fight, you know, given the position that we were in, but um, yeah, pretty much as as expected, no real surprises in how it all played out for me. And I guess even the most disappointing fact of how expected it was in, in terms of the lineup, um, Logan, the fact that Lewis Potter again didn't manage to get a start, it sort of contrasts a little bit with that Premier League relegation where we saw Bowen start against Spurs and you sort of got that hope as a supporter of, okay, well, we've got these kids coming through that might carry us next season. Um, we didn't even get that with Lewis Potter starting against Cardiff. Yeah, absolutely. And even uh, beyond just this uh, Cardiff game in isolation, is Ken Lewis Potter was probably one of the, the bright sparks, particularly at the start of the season when he kind of came into the fold. And he really uh, filled the supporters with huge uh, levels of optimism. And to kind of just see how he uh, fizzled out, mainly because he was used so sparingly, uh, not only points to how disappointing it was in the Carter fixture, but also beyond just that um, that last game itself. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and in the game itself, Dan, I guess um, our brightest chance came, we were already 1-0 down, but Wilkes played into the box. Um, pretty clear penalty not given, and it sort of follows on from that non-red card decision against Luton as well. It just... You know, as much as as much as those decisions probably wouldn't have kept us up in the end, it's still disappointing and frustrating not to get the rub of the green. Yeah, um, apart from the penalty in that game against Cardiff, there's only one real other chance I can think of was bounced around and then uh, Wilkes had a bit of, a, I think, a half volley or something that was pushed away by Smithies. But, um, yeah, I think we've talked about it before where we've had these runs where we can't seem to get any any decisions or any results our way where when, you, when you're in a bit of a bad rut and you've got bad luck, it just seems to compound week after week. And the the previous week with the what should have been a red card for the violent conduct and then, I mean, it, it's, it's the most blatant penalty I've seen that's not been given in, in a very long time. Like, you see that the Wilkes clear, like the knee's out, he, he 
falls just about straight over his leg. He, he's beaten by like the defender's beaten by a good um, bit of skill to, to play the ball around him. It was just I'm, I'm baffled and bewildered at the inability of either referee to to have noticed that. Yeah, and you can't even give them an out because it was pretty, you know, it was on that linesman side. There was no obstruction. It was a, a pretty clear decision. And even thinking back, there was the uh, the penalty given for us against Wigan that was then uh, swiftly taken away. So we couldn't even get any luck in that one either. Um, Logan, what did you make of that? And I guess our chances in the game as a whole. Yeah, I guess I think that Dan's already kind of touched on it. It's, it not only did it seem like a game that was a dead rubber, it, we kind of... The, the low expectations we had for it. I think the the performance. If uh, you kind of got asked to predict the score, I reckon two or three Neil Carter uh, before the performance, probably pretty close to what you would have gone with. And uh, regardless of the fashion, I, I don't think we really looked like we were causing them too many problems with attack. We had very few chances apart from the penalty, um, and still just incredibly open defensively. It, it just highlights the fragilities that have been there for. Um, the, the entire year, really, um, ever since the kind of the, the last result and the the back end of Christmas, it's just been a, a horrible 2020 for us. And uh, yeah, this performance was e- exactly what we expected. Uh, and then, I mean, we'll move on from the game and, and talk about the season as a whole in a second. But I guess the last uh, the last aspect of this game I wanted to touch on was uh, McGann's post post game comments. Um, don't really endear himself to the supporters, I would have thought. Dan, I mean, he's sort of talking about the fact that, you know, bigger clubs than us have gone down, which is uh, an easy way to get people off base if you want to remind people or, or suggest to people that the club's a certain size. And, you know, saying that he's here for the long haul and he's in for the, he's up for the challenge and he's going to try and turn the club around. I mean, it seems as if there's been no word from the owners, and we'll talk about them in a second, but it seems as if he's going to be the manager next season. Yeah, it's um, I I really don't understand that like why why he would come out and say those sorts of things with, with everything that's been going on around the club and, and all the talk, despite the actions being completely against that. All the talk has has been all year, all season long about you know trying to repair that broken relationship, and and yeah, to come out and, and essentially just. Um, it, it's salt in the wound for for all of us fans um, to to be told that you know I mean we, we see ourselves as a, as a reasonably sized club we're not a huge club but we're we're certainly not a small club but to essentially be treated in that or spoken about in that way by our own manager is is pretty disgusting and like it's not like we we only like we we went down we went out with a whimper like mm. he didn't he he has no I can't see any bearing in in how he could assure be be assured that he is there for the for the long haul, regardless of of what he's been told. Because I'm pretty sure someone asked the Alan Ehab about it months ago, and and you know, as predict, predictably as always, he refused to be drawn into whether or not McCann would would stay or go, or you know, on on how the season finished. So yeah, just another one that just. It blows my mind um, that you could be so disrespectful to the to the club, to the fans like that, that employ you. Yeah, yeah, and 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 Logan, I mean, we're record setters in one sense. It's uh, six points from our last twenty games. It's I think the worst end to a championship season ever. Um, and you've just got to question how how McGann still has a job after that when you see managers go for a whole lot less. 
absolutely. And I think that's been a question that has been asked time and time again through the through the closing month from from the fans. And uh, I imagine some other levels of the club are also thinking along the same lines. Um, all you have to do is take a look at the initiative that Middlesbrough made um, to get themselves out of the relegation zone. They went to make a made a really good appointment, and um, in that they found themselves out of the fold um, relatively easy, uh, easily. And the fact that there was no real proactive measures uh, made at all, um, it kind of it was almost like watching a car crash in slow motion. Uh, mm. There was no real optimism uh, from from the fans, and even from the players, it was, it was really hard, as you mentioned, with a, a return of six points from from twenty games. Uh, and uh, you kind of saw, even with the COVID break, that we knew we were in trouble, and there had been time to kind of uh, plan for these things, but it was just in no way, uh, shape or form, did we do anything to even attempt to resurrect that slide. And just on what Dan said as well, I think that um, McCann, when he made that comment, how he uh, kind of touched on how the, the owner's been fantastic and they've supported him all the way, I think that it doesn't do anything to even alleviate some of the frustrations that the the fans uh you know had been feeling uh, particularly on a on a relegation day when our emotions are the highest yeah absolutely it's um and, and look we've seen in the last few days the the outrage towards the owners just getting expressed across social media we saw the protests outside the ground um after the Luton game um I think interestingly, and I think, Logan, you were talking about this before we went to air, the fact that the owners and also the players haven't really made any kind of comments after the the relegation was confirmed. Um, You see, you know, the teams that were relegated from the Premier League, players have come out and, you know, not necessarily apologised, which isn't necessarily something that they need to do, but they've they've come out and made kind of comments about thanking the fans, uh, giving encouraging signs for next season and what will go on. Uh, and it's just been radio silence from City, so it's uh, it's it's been a pretty interesting one. I think Ehab's gone off on holidays, which isn't hugely surprising. But um, Logan, what like what have you made a, a, of that sort of situation with the, the players and and that sort of disconnect? Well, I think that it, it speaks a lot to the the toxic culture that is, exists there at the moment, which we've talked about a, a lot uh, recently. But even um, we had a, the article come out uh, from SBS as well with that interview with Jackson mm-hmm. Irvine and the the manner that he was let go and i think something the lines of there was seven or 14 days before the season resumed and he hadn't even heard from the club um and, and that is bewildering that something where you know he's he's even captained this this year um for communication levels to be so low with even him um that probably gives us some sort of insight as to to how the players felt about uh, the situation the relegation fight um being a City fan, we're no stranger to a relegation fight and we know what it takes to, to kind of overcome. Um, and you do need a team that's galvanised. You do need um, all levels of the club to kind of be uh, working in unison to have any chance of being able to hold off um, and emotionally be able to uh, cop the, the nerves and uh, the, the ball that's required to stay up. Um, the, the, what it also upset me more was some of the most outspoken people were ex-City players. Uh, we saw Caleb yeah. Foley out we saw david myler come out and tweet and to have uh, people of that magnitude uh be speaking uh so openly in forums yet to not have really heard anything from um any of the city players itself i think it just shows us everything that we kind of feared 
and um, it leaves us in this position where there's no reasonable doubt as to why uh, we do find ourselves in the League One um, situation. Yeah, and look, I mean, I, I can understand from one perspective that current players can't really speak ill about their employers and, and that sort of thing, but you'd expect at some level that the players could still issue some sort of tweet or some sort of message to the supporters to sort of galvanise us for next season. And um, it, it just, it, it, as you say, it sort of just adds to that toxicity where there's already that feeling that the owners don't care about the club, that there's players there who don't necessarily care about the club for, for one reason or another. They could be loanees, they could be on the last year of their deals, that sort of thing. Um, but no one's really doing anything to suggest otherwise or to encourage any other train of thought. And look, you mentioned there the article with um, Jackson back here in Australia, um, interviewed by the World Game. And Dan, I'll, I'll bring you in on this one as well. That um, look, it was it was essentially just confirming what we suspected with Irvine, which was you know player in the last year of his deal being asked to play on for six weeks after his deal technically expired putting himself at risk that if he sustained a serious injury, that he would be without a club through his rehabilitation. And, you know, Irvine talked about the fact that he he asked that question of the club, that if he sustained a serious injury, would they trigger that year extension on his deal? And he was told in no uncertain terms that no, they wouldn't. And, um, you know, you can say what you want about, well, we've got to manage players on a League One budget, potentially that sort of thing. But it's pretty brutal and damning to see that in black and white, that the club isn't standing by its players. And and you, you come back to, well, that's probably why a lot of the players aren't standing by the club. Yeah, it is really disappointing. Um, I think just on, on sort of all of this, that's the only, the only social media I've seen has basically been from Will Mannion saying, you know, thanks for the last four years and a couple of players, you know, wishing him the best. Um. You know, which which that in itself, that's another. I'm sure we'll talk about th- those players in a while. But um, yeah, that that that's yeah. It's just sad that that no one, that none of the players were. Uh, I don't know whether they're allowed or whether they're willing to say anything. You know, I, I don't want them. I'm sure you guys don't either necessarily to apologise and, and and say you know sorry we we let you guys down. But you know, just as you, as you mentioned, just anything, just to say. You know, we recognise what's happened, but we're, 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 you know, we're ready to work hard and work hard and, and try and win promotion from League One next year. You know, it, it's bloody forty characters on Twitter, and mm. it may not mean exactly. much, but it, but it kind of does, really. Um, and I think that speaks to. I think something I wanted to bring up was the the incident with Tafazoli after the Luton game. Yeah, it's it's this. It, it's the same sort of thing. It's really highlighted that. For whatever reason, whether it's a hierarchical thing and it's coming all the way down through the club, or maybe it's just that toxic culture, but, but there's no one who's actually really standing up on the field or off the field, apart from apart from Ryan in this instance, to to, to stand up and be be counted or, or take account for anything. You know, of of all the players, he's probably of that of the match day on the on that day has probably played the least minutes of anyone there. And he's yeah. the one who's got the balls to come out, face up to angry protesting fans, and say, you know, we are we are trying and and and, it, and we are hurting. Please, like, bear with us. But you know, device the captain. You know, other you know other guys who are there are, are just, you know, sure they're crying in the change rooms. 
Cry, go cry in front of the fans. That, yeah. that Like, it will mean way more than having someone tell you that you're crying. If you yeah. go out and show that emotion, like, it's I, – I just – I don't know. It's just a. It's just. I guess it's just a culture thing or something that's going on there at the moment. But I think, in terms of leadership, that's one area where we're really struggling at the moment, particularly after losing Lehigh and Irvine. Yeah, and look, and you mentioned there, Manny, and 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 you know, we did release our uh, retained list. Uh, I think it was earlier this week. Um, and Logan, we've we've let go somewhat predictably, Kevin Stewart and John Terrell, um, but also Will Mannion and Rob McKenzie. McKenzie, probably of the four, the one I was the most surprised to see released, um, purely because he at least can operate down that right-hand side. And given the fact that we don't even have any senior right-backs to be releasing a a junior right, I mean, look, he's also playing centre-back or or centre-midfield as well. But um, what, what did you make of that released list and, and the players that we've let go? And, and I guess also the news that we've offered McDonald a new contract. Yeah, I guess uh, Stuart leaving was, was no real surprise. I think he was our, our highest earner. And obviously, given the, the climate of the club and um, the communication that we are operating under a League One budget, essentially, uh, to see Stuart go was, was inevitable. Um, I think, as you mentioned, uh, Mackenzie leaving... Um, Mackenzie hasn't done all that much to kind of uh, endear himself to the fans. I think he's had the, the occasional okay game, but um, he has been called upon in, in pretty critical moments um, over the last couple of seasons when he's usually when someone's got injured, he's come in and hasn't really cemented his place. He has been kind of uh, put in as a, as a makeshift right back, center back, back just to, to fill kind of voids at, at certain times. So to see him go, um, as you mentioned, surprising player that doesn't really have a huge profile but has been at the club for quite some time uh, makes it interesting. John Terrell, um, we we know we've seen the, the gifts and the abilities that he does have, but he's just had a horrible run of injuries um, to take a punt on him. Um, and also, I guess, from his perspective, would he go back and play League One? Uh, it's uh, it's mm-hmm. a... Somewhat one of those speculative ones, but uh, I don't think there's any huge surprises with that. I also yeah. think it's one of those interesting uh, kind of dilemmas we find ourselves in. What does preparing for League One look like? We have to remember this club hasn't played League One football for a decade um, or, or more. And so uh, I guess the frustration that I, I got from uh, from Caleb Follin as well in, in his tweet is he said the amount of effort that's gone in to build this club, to get it to a point where it's a, a so-called yo-yo club, where a relegation for us is back to the championship, um, to just let it slip so easily into League One, it, it doesn't just undo the work of, of a fourth season, but it actually undoes a lot of work from the last decade and beyond of the people who have really worked tirelessly to get the club uh, where it was and, and experience some of the things that we've been able to see over the last uh, 10, 12 years. Uh, yeah. And... And, and that, that kind of is, is the, the overarching thing that leaves such a, a bit of taste in, I think, a lot of the fans, uh, you know, mouse at the moment, is we've fallen from grace uh, so far that we don't really have a, a rescue plan. There isn't a, a, a package of recovery. And with all of the communication that does come out of the clubs, um, like we can sit here and speculate about what signings we could get next season. But at the end of the day, we're now looking at a totally different level of, of, of players, a totally different tier of, of pool players where if you're not going to make the effort to try and negotiate with someone like Jackson Irvine, who I believe was a £2 million signing, then 
what's what's next? What's on the horizon for, for the type of player that we can expect to get in? Um, particularly in a in a league league one where it is going to be an incredibly tough league, um, and we don't underestimate that. Uh, we we need grafters. We need players who can actually cut it at that level. And it, it definitely looks like a very different brand of football that we've been used to seeing over the last last long period. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you look at you look at Sunderland, who are still down in League One. You look at Portsmouth. You look at other clubs that have slipped from the Premier League down to the Championship and then down to League One. It's not um, it's not the easiest league to get out of. It's not a league where we can look at it and necessarily say that we're going to bounce straight back up. Um, granted. There was a good stat that I saw, which was that I think our current squad has 99 League One goals in it, presumably most of that being Eves. But we do have some players in that squad now who do suddenly become big fish in that pond. Um, but we did actually, we did have a Facebook question from Mark who was asking, you know, can we expect the same routine of signings in terms of bringing in those cheap loanees, free players, you know, last-minute signings? Um, Dan, do you sort of look at the squad that we've got and think that with just a couple of additions, like Logan's saying, I mean, you look at the fact that our average age against Cardiff was just 25 compared to Cardiff's 29. We've got a squad of kids, essentially. We, we need some of these older guys, even if it's just a sprinkling, to add that little bit of, um, of energy and, and grafting, as Logan said. Yeah, I think um, I mean, we've been, we were talking about all this previous season about we were desperate for just one or two you know, extra senior, real senior heads who had the, uh, you know, a real decent level of experience at championship level and, and going back to League One now, we we are looking, we need that same thing. Um, you know, we need some, so at, with an average age of 25 in that squad, we really need a couple of guys who are, you know, in that, at 30, 31, a couple of guys around that who still have a good few years, you know, left in them, but who have the experience and, and the, the mental know-how and the mental capacity to really guide a young team around the park, um, particularly like through the spine. I think a, a, a really solid centre-half um, would go good. Someone, you know, that like 29, 30-year-old sort of a centre-half would go great. Yeah. And someone like if Device or Burke do, do actually end up staying, I think they would benefit immensely from having that extra experience with them. Um which we've seen with, like, say, when Maguire came through, you know, had experienced guys with him who really helped him lift his game. Um, and then, you know, we've all seen where, what he's gone on to achieve. So well, I, I was going to ask the question for you then. You know, you mentioned Device there. It wasn't even in the squad against Cardiff. Do you, do you think he'll hang around? Do you think that there might be already um, offers in the wings, whether he just doesn't have, that, have it in him to, to drop down to League One? Or, or how do you see that one panning out? Um, I think I think Device will be one that other clubs will look at. I think he has shown plenty of potential um, in the couple of seasons in the championship. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if um, if there are, are clubs that are looking at him. Even maybe some of the um, you know freshly promoted championship uh, clubs to the championship, or some of those mid tables. You know, someone um, you know, even someone like Middlesbrough or something might be looking at. You know, a strong centre half, but I don't. I I think what's going to count against some of these players is the last six months. Yeah, because yep. they've like realistically, our whole squad has been poor for six months. Yeah, I mean, I tweeted, I tweeted out. I think it was during the Cardiff game. I sort of tweeted out and said. 
you can't really uh, none of those players can really look at City and say that they're too good to play in League One when they're the reason that we've dropped into League One. And it's yeah, like you're saying, none of them showed that quality over that six months to show that they were better than that. Yeah, I think um, based purely on let's say pedigree in that where they've come from and and what they've done, you know, in their youth, but. Uh, device, you know, coming from Eindhoven, Burke coming from West Ham, uh, and I guess the only other one who I can really think would be De Silva, but that's only because he already had offers in this season and he'd only been playing a championship for six months at the time. So apart from that, I, I can't really think of anyone who's really stood out at all that much to, to warrant, um, you know, being poached away from us, but I mean, they do call it the silly season um, for a reason. So who knows what will what will eventuate? But yeah, I think um, in terms of what kind of signings we will get, I don't see us bucking the trend. It probably will be loan signings and you know whatever whoever we can get on you know cheap wages on a free transfer. That those are the kind of players we will we will probably recruit because uh, because of the fiscal. Uh, you know, positioning that the alums are trying to place, you know, uh, negotiate the club around. Logan, do you sort of see um, either a, a chance to, to bring in a couple of players or or even like we're sort of saying there that potentially not many of the players would attract a higher club, but um, if, if it is a matter of needing to balance the books and, and cut wages and that sort of thing, do you see a, a George Long getting sold to a to a Wickham or someone like that, or, or you know, do you sort of see any players that we'd be looking to, to shed from the squad? I don't think. Yeah, that's kind of what Dan mentioned. I, I don't really yeah. think there's a player in the squad that has a huge level of security that the club are desperate to hold on to. Um, it, it seems to be that revolving door policy with the with the arms that it doesn't matter who the player is. Um, it, it's more just about shedding wages and. Uh, the strange thing is, as you touched on before, is we've got Eves and we've got Wilkes as well, who in, in League One should be um, relatively prolific. At least the, the track records would suggest yep. that to offer. So as far as strengthening the sport goes, um, we probably aren't in the market for uh, a striker. But although we're saying that there's always you've always got a place in your in your side for a 10 to 15 goal a season kind of type play that would definitely strengthen us to um, to join those two. But um, beyond that, I just, yeah, I, I don't see anybody that the club would, would see as indispensable. And I think that it, there's going to be a lot of changes between now and when uh, the League One season does come around. But players to be targeting, again, it's, it's a totally different world for, for City and what they find themselves in. And reality is we... Are just coming so used to this uh, this really stringent policy or transfer policy that the Alums hold. So we're just we're merely guessing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you know, look, another element to look ahead to for the next season is obviously we've had a lot of chopping and changing of the captaincy. Um, I think in the last year alone, off the top of my head, we started off with Henriksen and then we went to Lehigh, then to Irvine, and finally to I mean, I guess it was sort of Elder, and then. Um, who was who was well? Elder Elder started against Cardiff, didn't he? And then he went off injured. Um, so he, he essentially held the captaincy to the end of the season. Which, you know, as I sort of mentioned last week, it was it was kind of nice. That we had two different Aussie captains during the season. Um, Logan, I'll, I'll start with you on this one. And I guess it sort of feeds into what we've just been saying. But 
Is there anyone that really jumps out at you as being a natural successor to the captaincy at the club? Absolutely not. I think <laughs> outside of probably the, as Dan mentioned, like Papazola going and confronting the fans and showing some level of kind of um, regret, I guess, or um, somber feelings. I, I think that that's probably the only real leadership trait we've seen from anybody. Um, I, I guess one of the other ones that you could debate is probably Honeyman, given the fact that he's got a bit of pedigree um, previously having held that role at, at Sunderland. And uh, I think that, you know, he's maybe the type of player that they would consider, um, you know, a, a, a leadership uh, yeah. style come into that mental role but uh, in, in his defense he's captained us one game for one win yeah and so i guess when you consider factors like that um there might be an argument to be made for someone like him taking that role but i mean what what i think really needs to happen is we almost need to blow the thing up and start again um in, in so many ways and as dan alluded to before it's the signings for us probably look like having some old heads having someone come in from another club who who isn't um currently in such a, a toxic environment and can come in and give a renewed perspective to uh, not just the playing group but i also think the coaches and uh, the people around the club who are probably feeling the effects of um you know, a, a toxic club for, for an extended period of time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, D- Dan, what are your thoughts on it? I mean, the name that probably leaps to mind other than the ones that we've just mentioned there is is maybe Magenis. I mean, we sort of talked about the fact that um, since the restart, he's been a pretty vocal and and uh, uh, sort of held a bit of a leadership role um, amongst the team. Um, but, yeah, no one else really comes to mind for me. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think yeah, Magenis with that game, he got subbed off, and then they said he he was sitting in the in the stands and was still the only voice, the city voice yeah. that, that they yeah. could hear. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure. I think you know maybe I, I guess it's probably one of I, I would probably go if it, Elder um, Honeyman or or Magenis. I mean, as much as we uh, you know. Uh, uh, sort of ragged on Magenis a little bit at the start of the season because of his two red cards in quick succession. Uh, you know, he was at least, um, you know, foot to the floor going at it, trying to do something for City at the time, you know. So, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure. It'll be an interesting one to see how that pans out. But uh, I, there's just such a, like, there's just a, such a lack of experience really across that whole squad and and, and a lack of clear leadership just makes this such a, a difficult one to to. to Put a pin in, really. Yeah, and I mean, of course, this is all assuming that device does leave, but I think that's sort of. Could that be a case made for Tom Eaves in the captaincy role in any way? He's proven at that level, I guess, and in some ways, when when he's come on and played and played patches, he does seem to have some level of energy and, and certainly a care factor. Whether that translates to uh, you know that leadership role, I, I'm, I'm not so sure. Uh, what what I found really interesting with this particular playing group is, as a fan, it's really hard to kind of resonate or, or get alongside. I think that we're used to having players at the club like David Myers and um, uh, even younger players in the sense of like Robbie Brady and, and Stephen Quinn and, and guys who really cared, Paul McShane, Alex Bruce, any of these guys could have stepped into that role because as a fan, you really resonated with them and felt connected to them. And this particular playing group, I think it's just it's such a difficult one to to be aligned with because 
it seems so fickle and they're in one week they're out the next uh, we're, we're getting thrashed and they you know they seem to be walking back to to halfway without a care in the world and it's, it's things like that that i think as a fan really distance yourself from from being able to to make these educated decisions as to who you would like to see in that particular role yeah yeah no and that, that's a fair point as well so hey, look it, it's and I guess that's the saddest thing is that it seems as if there's this big disconnect that's sort of growing between um, the fans and the club. And, and I think it's this this revolving door of players that we don't have. I mean, our longest serving player now, look, I'm struggling to think of who it would be because, you know, Irvine was the longest serving player for a little while and it, it's 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 going to be, um, I can't even think of it, maybe Burke or Elder, or Burke or Device, I think, might be. Um, or long, I, I don't know. But it's, you know, this revolving door just means that there's no connection that gets grown with the players. You look at, like you were saying before, we saw Myler and um, um, and others on social media after the games expressing their disappointment at the situation the club's finding itself in. And those are the personalities that you identify with the club. And there, there, there's not many players in the current squad that you kind of see as being quintessentially City players because... They're sort of in for a season or two, and and then they're straight back out again. Um, so look, I mean, we're saying you know it's it's going to be a tough season next year in League One, but um, if we can make a couple of signings, um, who knows? I mean, we'll sort of. I mean, in this last portion of the podcast, I wanted to look back. Just before we stop uh, looking ahead to the season to come. Um, uh, where do you? What, what's your sense of where we'll finish next season, Dan? Do you do you see us as challenging for promotion? Do you see it as a, as a consolidation season, or do you see it as another relegation fight? Um, I, I don't think it's, we we shouldn't find ourselves in a relegation fight. I don't. I think even even as poor as they have been for us this year, they, they get it. Well, I mean, they have already had a chance to reset, and that didn't go well. But they get a chance to reset. Um, you know, theoretically, you know, we're going up against, you know, weaker or, you know, less technically gifted or however you want to spin it, you know, opposition in the coming season. I think there is, we do have enough ability to, to compete and, and be reasonably strong. Um, I don't see it. I, I just, I think there's still a, a lack of tactical strength, I think, on, on McCann's behalf that I just, I don't think we'll, be you know an automatic promotion position. I think we'll probably struggle to make the playoffs, but I think we'll be pretty comfortable within the league. Logan, how do you say it? Yeah, similar. But I think I think if the club was to be sold in this next period before the league began, I think that instantly uh, you'd see a renewed optimism amongst the fans, uh, potentially the playing group. And also, I guess that what that would also do is open up um, more bargaining power for going into the transfer window. I mean, we, we have this mentality as, as City fans that, you know, we're a, well, ex-Premier League championship club, but given the, the drastic demise, I, I'm not sure that other players would look at this club as, uh, as a place to go to that offers, you know, a huge amount of hope. They consider the the crowd numbers uh, prior to COVID, obviously. Um, the Obviously, the revolving door with managers, uh, the players' contracts aren't safe. I mean, if you were to talk to some of the current playing group and you hear the horror stories about how they've been negotiated with, it doesn't fill you with much hope to want to go, that's the type of club that, that I obviously want to um, go and run. So yeah. if 
if there was to be a club sale, I think that given the if they were able to change um, change the kind of the squad mentality, I think that we could definitely push for the playoffs. I think that if, if things are to change, and I can't see how we could position ourselves any higher than sort of mid-table. Yeah, look, I I think you're right. I think um, it will be interesting being in League One where um, the KCOM is probably one of the biggest stadiums in the league. Obviously, there's the Stadium of Light there as well, but um, we will be seeing... Um, as one of the bigger clubs in that sense, at least, that we know we're, we're in a more modern stadium where, you know, in League One, you go to some of the grounds and they're going to be 10, 15,000 capacity and, and pretty old ramshackle sort of grounds. So um, we, we're a bigger club in that sense, but you're completely right as well that with the, the way that the squad's been stripped down and, and stripped away, that um, any sort of luster around the uh, former Premier League status is, is well and truly gone at this stage. So, look, it, it'll be... It'll be an exciting season, if nothing else, because it's something new. First time in 16 years that we're down there. But, um, you know, it, it's going to be a really, really interesting start to the season. I think it's going to be a very interesting first month or so of the season to see how we hit the ground and and whether we can get off to a decent enough start. Um, but I, I thought we'll, fi- we'll finish off with a, a slightly more positive look um, look back at the season that we've just had. And and I wanted to get from each of you your, your favourite moment of the season, as, as, as fleeting as it probably was, as, as as few as there are to pick from. But um, Dan, if, if you've got if you've got something that comes to mind as as a favourite moment of the season just past, um, I'll start with you. Um, probably a couple of options come to mind for me. One is Ken Lewis Potter scoring goals. That's um, just to, which either of them. I think. Did, the one against Charlton's got counted as an own goal from a Charlton player yeah, you know, or something, yeah. which was, I got chalked away from him, which is disappointing. But I think that was a really good goal by Keen Lewis Potter. Um, the other one, which contextually was was frustrating and disappointing, but the four all at Swansea. Yeah, the the to, you know we we were in and out and up and down, and then to to score the last two goals in the last. Five minutes or whatever it was to to, to level that up, um, you know. Uh, Eve scoring in that the ninety fourth minute as well or something, and running around with his shirt off, and you know that was that at that at that time gave me a little bit of hope that we might be turning this turn, turning it around. Um, obviously, it didn't eventuate, but that was a. Did did both of Wilkes and uh, Madison score in that game? If I'm remembering correctly, or maybe just I, Madison. I think. So, um, I'm just thinking because obviously that was a game that was just after um, those guys came into the club. So you're right. It sort of gave you that bit of optimism that I think we hadn't scored too many goals and then to suddenly score four against Swansea and particularly to have Madison or potentially Wilkes as well on the score sheet would have been a pretty uh, pretty uh, a good confidence boost. Yeah, give me... Uh... Uh, while you're looking for that, uh, Lopez, Madison, Wilkes, and Eve. Yeah, there you go. So yeah, Madison and Wilkes both scoring. So that that was that was a pretty uh, positive result, even if even if we weren't able to get the four uh, the three points, four points. Uh, Logan, um, what was your favourite memory of the season? I think I have two, and and one of them ended up being extremely underwhelming. Is that uh, probably that two one victory against Middlesbrough in the in the last couple of rounds, just because I'd forgotten what it was like to win, and it really did kind of. Put us in the driver's seat to um to to stay up, I guess at, at that point in time. 
Um, and so I was, I was largely optimistic. Apart from that, I think it was the uh, 4-0 against uh, Preston. Uh, where I think Bowen got a double, maybe Grzycki scored. Um, and that was kind of when uh, those two were at the height of their powers. And really, um, we had that feeling that um, that this season kind of from nothing had, had resulted in a, a playoff push and we started to get really excited. So they're probably the two moments that, that really stand out. But I tell you what, you've got to go back a, a long way to, to really um, remind yourself of what it's like to the positive feeling of being a City fan because it has just been a horrific year. It's a, it, the fact that we have to go back that far to, to remember the good times, it's, um, yeah, it's largely disappointing. Oh, it's it's crazy actually because yeah, I was just thinking about what my favorite memory of the season probably is, and it, it is funny because of the fact that we had this COVID shutdown. It it does almost feel like it's two different seasons, and for us more so than most clubs, I suspect, because of just how distinctly different our form was. I mean, you know, it was starting to get pretty poor just before the shutdown, but that three 0 win at Fulham was, you know, especially in hindsight now, you're looking at them them as a as a playoff semi finalist. Um, uh, potentially finalist um and we went there and just completely dismantled them and and yes it was again you know Bowen and Grzycki at the peak of their powers but it just shows what this season could have been and I mean I mean we've all sort of come up with two and because my second would be that the Chelsea FA Cup game not necessarily because of the game itself but the lead up to that game where it was essentially a sellout KCOM it was you know Premier League opposition back in Hull it was, um, you know, almost a, a best, the, the strongest our team was all season. And there was that sense of optimism going into that game because I think we'd lost or, or dropped points in a few games leading up to it. But that was right after we'd come within touching distance of the playoffs. And there was that real tangible belief that we were actually in a playoff battle. And, um, you know, obviously everything just went downhill after that game. And I think it was the Huddersfield game was right after that. And then Bowen and Grzycki were gone. But, that was probably the last game where, and it could be the last game for for a number of years, where we really feel like a, a whole club and a club with that connection to those Premier League players. Yeah. I think one more that I just remembered uh, going back through the, the archives was the FA Cup game against uh, Rotherham, the comeback. Uh, yeah. With Eves' hat-trick. I think that was kind of a sneaky, a sneaky one that um, I, I, I guess... Uh, with the position we found ourselves in the league that time, we weren't too concerned about the FA Cup. But given the fact that we fell behind early and then, um, you know, Eves, who um, is a pretty passionate player, to see him get a hat-trick, um, having gone through a pretty barren patch, it, it kind of gave us that feeling that, oh, maybe Eves is going to start to to get hot and, and, and score some goals as well. But um, obviously we look back from hindsight now and realise that that certainly wasn't the... <laughs> The story, and who but can forget his um famous post match uh, comments about kicking the wife out of the bed, he was sleeping with the match ball. <laughs> <laughs> if nothing else, he's, he's a great character. And look, I mean, we've said we've said already, I mean, I'm hoping that you know, heading into League One, um, he can really light the league up next year and, and really find some some scoring touch because it's funny with those players sometimes with the, the way it's it's such like a mental thing that. If he can, if he can have a fantastic season for us in League One, and if a big, big if, if we were to get promoted, he could have a great season back in the Championship because you sort of start to get that momentum going, and as soon as you stop that toxicity, that that rot that sort of sets in, if we can have, even if it's just a consolidation season and then push on, um, you know that there's there's a few opportunities there with the with the players that we have. Um, 
But but just before we, we head off, just as a last one, we, we sort of talked over the the lockdown, Dan, about who our player of the season would be. And and obviously, you know, we've had a, a few games since that might not necessarily have changed the opinion. But um, I guess now with the whole season in the books, um, starting with you, Dan, um, have you any thoughts to who your player of the season would be? And and I suspect I would say we're allowed to nominate players that might not have played the full season for us <laughs> if we have to. I, um, I'm going to be honest, I don't even remember who I suggested at, in that episode. I think, we, I think we settled on device, but, you know, I, I, I can't oh, okay. Yeah, we, we could well have. Um, I... I couldn't. I couldn't possibly after the last eight games. I couldn't possibly keep him as as a player of the season. He, he's just been so, so disappointing. Um, as have many others. Uh, it's really. It, it always. It comes back to look. The number twenty is behind me on the wall. Um, <laughs> I, can't, I can't. I just don't. I honestly. You should have given me that out because I can't. Yeah. I can't pick anyone else apart from from Jared Bowen. I think, I think Rick left in January. It's so disappointing. Yeah. yeah. Rick did a uh, player of the season poll on Twitter, and uh, I think Bowen won against Device, uh, not Device, he won against Lopez in the final in an absolute landslide. So, Logan, um, are you looking past Bowen, or, or is he sort of the number one option? I, I just I can't say how when you've got a team that's collected six points from, from 20 games. Um, I, I hate seeing all those nostalgic posts of, uh, you know, when a player gets signed to a Premier League club and the fans still go on and on about it in the forums and, oh, look how well Robinson's going and we here we get uh, smacked with the with the Liverpool uh, propaganda. I, I do hate that stuff. And the fact that Jared Bowen is a West Ham player, even though that hurts us to say. Um, what's happened this year that has done anything to the, to dislodge him from, from our player of the season? And the, the answer is absolutely nothing. So... By landslide, yep, he, he's the guy. Yeah, yeah. The the most depressing stat that I think I saw um, for this half of the season is, um, do either of you know who the top scorer at the KCOM is in 2020? Uh, uh, who scored multiple goals? <laughs> it's, it's not a Hull player. It's not a City player. Uh, uh, ben Rama at Brentford has scored three goals at the KCOM and he is the top goal scorer at the KCOM in 2020. And that's and, the most depressing stat I think I've seen. As, and what he would edge Wilkes out who has two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think Wilkes scored against Middlesbrough. Uh, Middlesbrough and then I guess there must have been one more. Yeah. Oh, that's... that's <laughs> what, a, what, a way, what a way to finish the podcast. What a way to finish the podcast. Yeah, I just did have that thought. I thought oh, it's, a, it's a real nice, positive way to finish it. But look, anyway, it's been, it's been, a, it's been an interesting season. And look, we finished the season off um, with, a, with a live stream episode, which was a great, great uh, initiative and a great thing to try out. So I think we're going to try and do these uh, once a month uh, into the new season, potentially more often, depending on how successful they are. Um, look, you know, it's almost a flashback to our early days at the podcast, Logan, where we used to do the the monthly roundup of the of the matches. We can do the live podcast as sort of a, a look back on the month that was for the season. And look, hopefully, hopefully that means that we're sort of progressing up the table and we can talk about plenty of wins down in League One. But uh, look, thanks for thanks for joining me over the course of the season and and again tonight, Dan. Um, no worries. It's uh, I, I, I'd like to say it's, it's been a pleasure chatting with you anyway. <laughs> same to you yeah and and look thanks as well logan thanks for joining us tonight and and over the course of the season
yeah, the same thing. It's always good to talk about City. I guess if anything, it's a um, a therapeutic self help group. Yeah, look, and and hopefully we've helped those out there who've listened in um, over the course of the season. Look, you know, if you're listening. Yeah, if you're watching live, if you're listening on a replay, hit the hit the like button, share the podcast around. It's always great to get new listeners and new viewers uh, each and every season. We're always here to try and offer a slightly different perspective on City from uh, the other side of the world with our Tigers Down Under podcast. But until next season, come on, City. You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast. For more discussion, join us on Facebook in the Hull City AFC Australian Supporters Group or follow us on Twitter at Hull City AFC Oz. The music was created by Amber and Black. This is on fire. We're going higher and higher. There's no turning